At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth brings you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Big shout out to our latest Patreons, Baird Carlson out of Kalamazoo. He was actually in the Marines with me. Um, I got some stories about that guy, but uh, uh, he's doing a great job. Uh, getting his kid involved with archery and uh, taking that journey. So thanks a lot for the support, Baird, um, as well as Dan Piper out of Minnesota. So uh, thanks to those guys. Uh, Patreon giveaways are going um, crazy. If you're listening to this in real time, I've got a podcast uh, tonight, April 20th, and then after that we're going to be going on Instagram Live uh, chatting and uh, drawing for the giveaways for uh, the previous quarter. So, uh, this second quarter coming up, we'll have another package from Huntworth. Uh, they gave away some incredible stuff. Um, a turkey setup, uh, quarter one, um, going to have a package from Redline. So we're going to have a, uh, sight quiver and stabilizer package from Redline Spartan Forge. Guys, if you haven't checked out Spartan Forge, Spartan Forge, the imagery is amazing, but as we get closer into the season, it's artificial intelligence for the deer woods. Basically, it's machined learning on car deer, collared deer studies, um, all of these different bits, billions of data points put into this algorithm to tell you on what days deer move at what times and the best spot for you to be hunting but their imagery man the layers that they've got and it just keeps getting better and better and better uh, you can check them out at spartanforge.ai you can use code bowhunter to save 25 percent spartanforge.ai also lucky buck uh, we're working with lucky buck i just sent a couple of their buckets down to Ohio with Frank, and they already have bucks on it. And uh, we got some cell cameras down there. Now, uh, you know, for you Ohio guys, Frank's hunting some private land. You know how he likes to talk. You'll hear him talk on this podcast. And, uh, you know, he's got a way of of people just wanting to bring him around. So um, Lucky Buck's giving away some some of their product as well. Uh, Zinger Fletchings, We uh, John's actually building a set right now. Uh, with their six fletch for the Magnus bullheads for some turkey hunting. Our season starts this weekend, so uh, pretty soon 
Uh, we'll have a little bit of turkey content from us on here. And then who else? There's somebody else on there that's doing a, a giveaway. Spartan Forge, Lucky Buck, Zingers. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. But, man, we just give away so much stuff back to the Patreons. And uh, basically, it's a crowdfunding for us. Uh, they support us, and we do everything we can to give back as much as possible. Um, they all have a subscription to The Vitals Live, which is like live podcasts. And uh, you can check that out at thevitalslive.com. But this podcast here is is crazy. So this guy's kind of local to us, uh, Adjustable Red Dot, Tim Zelinka, And uh, putting a red dot on a bow... Apparently they've been doing it since like the late 80s, early 90s, and it kind of takes the form out of it. It kind of takes everything, but it's kind of designed for people who are having a problem seeing their pins. And my daughter just absolutely loves it, shooting her bow. Uh, Tim sent us home with one, uh, a kid's bow. Um, he said, have your daughter shoot this one. And, uh, you know, she struggles to get on target and this. You know, as long as you can see the dot, you can hit the target, and or, or the arrow's going to go where the dot is, and, and, and it's it's nuts. Um, he describes it in some of the pitfalls that they had designing the the adjustable bracket for it, and uh, why it shouldn't work, but but how it does. Um, super crazy, but uh, I, I know you guys are going to like this one. It's got Uncle Frank on it, so you, you can't. You can't hate it, that's for sure. Um, and if you're interested in Patreon, any of the giveaways, any of that stuff. And um, after that last podcast, we are sending around some uh, uh, releases. So some of the Patreons had said, hey, we want to try out some of these releases. So I got a knock to it going out. I got, uh, there's an ultra view going out and uh, Silverback going out. And so if you are a Patreon and you want to take advantage of that, let me know. Uh, if you're not a Patreon and you're like, hey, I'd like to try that, uh, patreon.com forward slash bowhunterchroniclespodcast, or we got links in our bio on Instagram or uh, bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. But all of that, we got, we still got all those saddles, guys. If you want to, if you're still looking to try and get into a saddle and uh, haven't got to try any, uh, reach out to me. Um, if you're a Patreon, we'll, we'll get one sent out to you so you can give it a, give it a whirl. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of all we got. If Patreon's not your thing, not a big deal. Um, just tell somebody about the episode. Maybe this podcast is for your dad who can't hit the broadside of a barn all of a sudden, or, you know, you're trying to get your wife or maybe your kid into, into, uh, archery and, and they're having a hard time getting on target. Um, you know, take a look at these guys and, uh, yeah, you'll hear all about it in the podcast. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, and uh, we got Uncle Frank here today. How's it going, guys? This one is uh, almost tailored right to him. You haven't been on one in, uh, since we went. He's he's more of like the on-location guy. <laughs> we bring him out, you know, kind of soften up the guests a little bit, get them used to kind of our, our style of uh, podcasting here. Uh, but today we're down... Uh, a little bit south of us here, uh, talking with uh, Tim Zelinka with the adjustable red dot site. And uh, you may have seen some of his stuff. On, they've been doing a lot of videos and things on uh, Instagram, but it's a pretty interesting setup. And uh, we've been down here for a couple hours uh, shooting, kind of talking through the process. And we'll, we'll get into it on the podcast, but it's a little bit outside of like the realm of normal 
I mean, you kind of got to remove yourself from kind of everything we do uh, for bow hunting. But Uncle Frank here is the is the target market. So, uh, you know, and I don't know how many times he's, we've talked about or kind of uh, kicked him in the ribs while he's down about the missing the giant uh, in Nebraska, right? Well, you know, it just keeps coming back to haunt me, you know, all the time. Well, we got to give you your due, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how many deer did you kill last year? Oh, come on now. Okay. That's, I'm uh, just saying, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I, I guess I deserve that one. Okay, um, I'll give you that. <laughs> but uh, so, so Tim, let's get into a little bit of background on you and just like, uh, like your hunting style and and kind of where like you come from, like as a hunter, like from from day one. Well, I mean, Michigan hunter, you know, my my entire life for the most part, other than some stuff in Kansas. But we started out, you know, probably in my teens, just shooting a red dot and that kind of evolved over the years into what we have today but um you know midwest hunting you know stuff up close you know nothing real far like out west so like when you were like started out hunting did you come from a hunting family did you were you out like like i mean for for myself like i was five years old i got the little fiberglass yeah. compound in my easter basket and then i was 10 years old and got a 12 gauge single shot for, you know, Christmas. And so it's so like your, your journey into the hunting space. Yeah. I've been around it my entire life. My grandpa's hunted all over the world. You know, he was in Africa. I don't know how many safaris. Um, we had a big game ranch where, you know, we could shoot, you know, a couple hundred acres. So we were exposed hunting like from the get go. But how do you suppose that shaped like your, the way that you hunt or like your, I guess like the view of hunting, like we, we think about it, like until I started really doing the podcast or or whatever, I didn't ever really consider the fact that it was like private versus public or like baiting or like whatever. Like when you're a kid and you're like in your own little space, you just think, I mean, to me, it was just hunting. Like it didn't matter where I was hunting. So do you think with the game ranch and that sort of thing, like changed your like perspective on the thing as a whole? We probably just shot a lot of deer, you know, <laughs> versus most people are like, oh, I finally got my first deer and I've been hunting for 10 years. Um, we did it all the time. You know, it was, it was winter. We were going to go call deer. So, we we shot a lot of deer. Um, we probably had a little bit different perspective on that. We had a lot of land up in, you know, north of here that we hunted on, on private stuff. Did you uh, did you start bow hunting at a young age though, or was it was it more... You know, no, I think I shot my first deer with a bow when I was eleven. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Now what? Now I don't want you to incriminate yourself. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just no. thinking, just thinking <laughs> about like, the, the like rules. Maybe I was, on maybe I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was twelve. Yeah, it got, yeah, yeah. Had, had to have been twelve, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, what was your first bow? Like your first equipment? Like, because I want to get into like the evolution of like, yeah. how this thing all comes together right because one of the things that i like to do is talk to people who do things like everybody and it doesn't matter if it's you or frank myself we all have seen a product out there and we've said you know i thought of that 30 years ago but we we don't ever like take that step and you know like even like with this podcast we when we started there wasn't anybody that had the you know the style of 
of hunting that we did, or we weren't yeah. able to pull the information out. It was like, man, I can do that. But there's so many people that say, oh, I could do that better. And so many people that said, who do you think you are? You can't do that. So to, to, to actually find people that are actually doing things and stuff, I kind of want to figure out like, how did it all come about? So like, what was your first like bow? Like when you were, you know, in the Kid. 10, 10, 11 ish, when you <laughs> shot that. that, that first I, I think I had like a little Ben Pearson, you know, compound bow i got the hand-me-downs from my my dad i know i had a, a darton before um then we got some oneidas um, but nothing i don't remember ever having like a little recurve or something like that um, it was all business like right from the get-go like we were out to kill i think yeah <laughs> yeah but and so for the and we have to get into this when we talk about like your like personal equipment and stuff like that, because Tim has like one of, I mean, I, I know I'm sure Tim Wells has a lot of lever bows and a lot of Oneidas, but I mean, you have to have like a, too many. <laughs> that's it's a but. significant collection of, of, of lever bows. Um, so I guess from the, the site type perspective and everything, like, cause you've been working on this probably for like a long time. How yeah. did it, if, uh, where did it come from? Well, like I said, we, you know, we all, we shot the red dot and there was a version of it that was adjustable. That was always the big thing or, um, and probably went back to when people all just shot a single pin that's all we had. And if you want to shoot a little further, you just had to gap shoot or, and so it was kind of the same way for uh, well over 20 years that, you know, we'd sight in at 20, 25 and we want to shoot 30. We were aiming at the top of his back and it worked pretty well. And then there was kind of an adjustable version of it, but it just didn't, it wasn't very handy. It didn't work well. And finally I, I came across the guy with a machine shop and he was a big red dot guy, you know, on handguns. So he got the whole concept of it and, you know, just kind of started doing up some drawings and coming up with something that, you know, we could kind of copy the one that was done before, but make it, make it work a lot better. So at this time frame, like when you're saying like you were shooting the red dots, you know, a long time ago and there was a fixed one, like what, what are we talking about in time frame here? Like year, what, like oh, what, what year, year is this? 88, okay. 1990, you know, right in there. So for a lot of our listeners, that's going to be like, they weren't even born yet. <laughs> and for myself, that would have been, uh, so 88, I would have been seven years old. Mm -hmm. So what time was that, Frank, w for like, when was the switch over the big push for compounds? No, it probably was, it was just before, you know, the eighties, you know, like end of the, end of the seventies and that, you know, when things really changed then, you know, as far as we, I mean, you could go in uh, the store that I worked, uh, spring sporting goods in Muskegon, and there was just racks of recurves in there. You know, yep. and and then all of a sudden, you know, here's a, here's a compound. You know, what's a what's that man? It looks like a machine. You know, well then it was just like they started refining them. You know, different than the all the all the manufacturers got in on it. You know, and and then recurves were virtually gone almost. You know, yeah. and we bought we bought recurves from Bear Archery, and we we sold them. You know, the top line recurves for 25 bucks it was crazy it was crazy you know i mean it was just but that was you know that was a 
the, the transition period, you know, and then, you know, they just kept getting better and better and better, you know. But like I said, the bows I had back then, you know, I had a bear Alaskan that shot 190 feet a second. And I thought that was smoking, you know. And so in that, like, 88 time frame, 88, mm-hmm. 90, whatever, what was the the size? I mean, I, I remember, like, the Cobra or whatever, that, you know, metal yeah. thing that you put on the side. And, my, you know, my dad had the, oh, I, I want to say it was Trigicon, but it was, like, the one, like, uranium lit pin that it moved up and down, you know, and you had to you know it glowed in the dark yeah, and it was yeah. where you had the the battery taped to your you know the nine volt battery zip tied to the that was that was you do you remember that it was the heinz lit pin you know that came out you know as a as a fiber optic inside of it and had a nine volt battery and then they got better you know that was just one one deal you just pushed down on the battery and it lit you know it was lit all the time well then they came out with one with a rheostat on it then they came out with multiple pins you know and that was really confusing you know you got three colors up there you know and you're going like wow you know we just had a like a little single it was like made of copper or something and mm-hmm. it had a little watch battery in the back and we could twist the back oh that was the that was a cobra and uh and then we used that pendulum sight for oh, yeah. years, you know, yeah. shooting out of trees. It seemed like you always yeah. shot high and yeah. that was supposed to, you know. Because I'm trying to like wrap my head around like I know obviously the the further and if you pay attention to any sort of uh, pistol shooting or uh, any of the tactical stuff, you know, I mean, even the military is going to like the ACOGs and, you know, some of the, the fancier, you know, red dot style or holographic sites or whatever. But back in like 88 or like early 90 or like whatever, what did that like red dot site look like? Or, you know, what, what were we dealing with compared to say what we've got today? I think some of the first couple ones, I probably threw them away. I had, you know, they actually, those original ones were Tasco ones we had, and they actually had a rheostat on them. The issue was the dot was like a pumpkin. Oh. It was so big. Um, it worked. The concept was the same, and it and it worked. And then, uh, kind of, Pollingtons came out with one that was a. They started out with a thirty millimeter. I think Citron made that, and uh, it got a little bit better. And then, by the time we got into the early nineties, it was, it wasn't that much different than what we had today. And then it went to a thirty three millimeter. So at that, I mean. Was that a normal thing at that time? I mean, that's kind of like I what think I'm a going. Michigan thing. You probably saw a lot more of them, especially if you were an Oneida guy, because mid '90s Oneida came from New York back, you know, to Michigan, mm-hmm. and you know, with Ted Nugent shooting that stuff, and it's a bigger deal. But that was so. That wasn't something that you just like came up with in your garage. You're like we're going to take this pistol site, we're going to strap it on the boat. It was a. It was a thing. It was a thing. They had it. Um, I still have some all that original stuff, but uh, I remember standing there with Claude Pollington teaching you how to shoot it, and and then I remember coming home and and shoot and it you didn't have anybody else to kind of walk you through and you know the finer points of it, and I remember throwing that <laughs> <laughs> I can't get it, you know, because we were before that it was a, a finger tab and a and a peep. Not we didn't have a peep, just using a, a pin sight, so that was kind of a, a big jump. But we figured it out, and then when we started off, all you know, all my brothers, my dad, everybody on it, everybody just—I don't remember anyone having a big issue with it. 
but so it sounds like because it it isn't um i don't want to say like natural to me or not the shooting of it but just even the thought process of like having a red dot so that kind of sounds like was an oneida thing like it was like one yeah. of the, the, the things with their bows yes especially and there was a lot of guys back then that put them on their other bows they would get that that sight system but i'm sure it was much more of an oneida thing so let's take a step back here just a second because i had mentioned like your collection of lever bows and then like, you know, we're talking about Oneida here. And I mean, I was even asking you questions back there about like, so can you explain if, if in the layman's terms, like, because, you know, everybody knows Hoyt, Matthews, yeah. you know, obviously bear archery and dart and if you're from Michigan and, you know, all these bow types, but like Oneida, they've kind of like come and gone, always been around. And it's kind of like this, I don't know, bastard oddball <laughs> thing over there that it looks super complicated so what is like you know who is oneida archery or whatever how it sounds like you know a lot about the history of it Mm -hmm. and then a lever bow like how does it work versus like what we versus a regular bow yeah i'm probably not the right person to ask that but but uh, i know that we'll have another guy (laughs) (laughs) Um, well obviously it you know, it comes right from a lever. That outboard limb is your lever. So when you when they talk about how how easy an Oneida draws, well, it's because we're using the the lever from that outboard limb to pull to turn that cam over, rather than have a string attached right to the cam. You know, pulling it. So we get a lot of force from that, and we get that very smooth draw cycle. And that's probably the biggest thing that keeps people coming back to that and that true center shot bow. You know, we're not, uh, you know, it, that arrow is right down the center, uh, especially on the newer Phoenix, you know, compared to it being a little bit lower or that string is right down the center of the riser, left and right also. Now, has there been any other companies that make lever bows or, I mean, wh- uh, why is there only the one or well, the there's few? I think, uh, well, Muzzy makes a fishing one now. Um, I can't I'll try to name them all. G-string bows, um, they make one also. Um, that's one of the ones that I can't think of. There's probably three, but it's probably bigger in that lever world and the bow fishing world. You know, that's probably really dire- the direction Oneida has gone. Now, obviously, you're not like the authority on it, but why would you? Why do you think that is that there's only a couple of them? Or why do you think there's such a novelty in the normal archery world. I think that's what sells, you know, and if you're going to chat with bow sell, you're going to go buy a Matthews and that's just not their direction. If you're going to go bow fish, you're going to go buy an Oneida. Okay. Um, and what makes them better for bow fishing or. I'm not a big bow fisher, so <laughs> I don't know. Other than, I mean, it's a very smooth draw, but, uh, Okay. Yeah. I mean, like I say, for, for us and the, for the listener who's like saying, yeah. well, what the hell is a lever bow yeah. or, you know, Oneida, like I've never, yeah. you know, and, and so a lot of our listeners are like very new to archery or yeah. hunting and, you know, some guys are real high level and they're looking for, you know, information on killing the biggest buck and uh, all this sort of stuff. But there's, you know, as you said, like at that time, you know, you're bringing the bow home and throwing it down there isn't a youtube there isn't podcast right. so your information you know is kind of like who you surround yourselves with um so it's just super 
like interesting. So people were putting red dots on bows like back. Yeah, there back. was a another site called the Bracklin. Um, I think maybe one other. Did, it was either True Glow or someone else tried mm-hmm. it recently in the last ten years. Um, but from what I I talked to other people that tried it, it was very complicated to get set up. And I think that's having to do with the, they tried to sight it in using the actual site itself left and right. It was tough to see the knot. Okay. And so how long have you been working on like the adjustable adjustable. red knot? Yeah. Probably about two and a half years from the time I got with Jeff Kunkel and we started to, you know, design it. Um, And what was the, what was the catalyst there? So you've just been shooting red dot that entire time the entire time yeah okay and then so you're like i just wanted to we had that this bracket that was similar it just it just wasn't easy and i and the toughest part was trying to get someone to to actually do it because it took a lot of r&d and you know to make it work and, and he was willing to uh, you know just the, the hours of the design time to you know to come up with it to make it to make it work but make it simple and not overcomplicated because I think that's why the ones in the past had failed. They, you know, we and even in that whole process, we learned a ton. You know what we need to do to make it, you know, work very simple. So as far as the adjustments, you're talking like yard <laughs> difference in the yardages, or just in the the tolerances that you were talking about. Yeah, the tolerances are a huge thing. You know that as we kind of made more, we we worked on and and you know, do we make it adjustable like a a single pin? Um, but we had, we had our biggest challenge. We we're trying to hold up a red dot. So, you know, so we have to put those detents in there with, mm-hmm. you know, with the little slots to actually hold a five ounce sight up versus just a, you know, two ounce pin or something. So real quick, just as I'm listening here, I'm trying to process it as the, the listener. So your product, the adjustable red dot, like describe to me like what it is like. So for somebody listening, if they say, you know, yeah. What is this? You know, just slap a pistol scope on your bow and you're yeah. good to go, right? Or well, you you can we so the tube style red dot um, really works the best. It's a little more intuitive. You guys kind of shot mm-hmm. you you shot the uh, spark solar, which is a little bit shorter but still round, right? And that that works all right. We have the ra- that rail where you could put any red dot you want on it. But uh, like I said, in the past, we had sighted in a 20. And so that we wanted to make that so it's adjustable. But we're not actually touching the dot itself. It's our mount that's moving. And it's the way that mount moves to keep the dot aligned with your eye. So you, you don't have to change our anchor point. And you basically don't know that whether you're shooting at 20 yards or you're shooting at 50 yards. We'd, we're not doing anything at all different. Okay, so what, and we can get into this from Frank's experience and my experience shooting it, but like from that red dot perspective, like what makes it um, desirable or, you know, for you, I mean, obviously you've been shooting it for this long and you wanted to make it better so that you could have it, you know, shoot more like a, a sliding or a, a, a moving pin site but like what makes it more beneficial like so for someone who's coming from any other site or whatever to shoot a red dot what where is the the draw 
I think the biggest differences are, there's probably several, but compared to a pin site where we have all those anchor point things that we talked about, string on our nose, fletch in the corner of our mouth. So. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com We basically are getting rid of that. All we really care about is center of the dot. So in pure hunting situations, you know, the target acquisition is is much quicker because we're never taking our eyes off the target, especially in low light stuff. All we're doing is, you know, putting the dot on the target. We're not having to, you know, put the dot or, you know, a pin inside a peep and get all those things correct. Yeah. So, like, when we got here and uh, he's kind of, you know, showing us and he's trying to explain to me, okay, so you just just center to the dot. That's all I need to do is center to the dot. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, how does this, you know, because in from the archery perspective, you know, you're yep. okay. Find your find your anchor. Okay, now now center your housing. Okay, now level your bubble. Okay, now find your your pin. Okay, now find the target. Okay, now just let the pin float. Okay, squeeze. You know, nice shot. Keep everything together. Don't break down. And he's like, Yeah, I don't know anything about that. You just put the dot on there and you just shoot, shoot it. it. And, you know, when in talking to Tim previously, he's saying, okay, uh, you know, like, Hey, you want to come on the podcast? You know, he's like, you got to come down and shoot it because it, that you can't like understand yeah. it without <laughs> like actually shooting it. And so what it is, and, and you can talk about this a little bit more, like from a, a handgun perspective. So like if you think of a red dot on a, a handgun, you know, so it's however long your arm is three feet out in front of your face or, or whatever. And then you have to find that dot in there. But once you find the dot, then you just put the dot on the target and, you know, squeeze the trigger. Don't push it yep. there, whatever. Um, there's so many other axes when you're drawing a bow because you're, you still have that hand out in front of you at three feet. But then you've got your backhand, and then you've got your head. Yeah, <laughs> you got to remember now, it's not you're not canting the bow. You're you torque torquing the bow <laughs> is where you you find the dot. So Frank, when you picked this thing <clears throat> up, what were you? And, and so Frank's left-handed, and he had a, a left-handed bow set up with uh, the bracket on there that allows for not a tubed picatinny rail. Yep. So he puts. There's a, a site on there, and Frank's kind of looking at it going, like, I don't know what the, what's going on here. So, you know, your thoughts. Uh, I drew it back and just, you know, all of a sudden, boom, there's a spot. You know, I see the dot, and uh, I don't know, I, I shot, you know. And it's, well, not bad, you know, right? First three were just kind of a, you know, Well, I, think, I was finding it, you know. Well, I think, so Frank was shooting at a, a block target that had like a set of vitals on it. So I feel like it was more of like a hunting type situation where, and it was just like a trial thing. So like if, if I were to go to a show, right. And I was to pick up your bow or the red dot site or whatever, you know, many times I have to like re 
tra- train myself to like try to make a good shot or like try to aim at something, you know, because you're just like a lot of times if you're shooting a new bow, you're trying to feel like all the stuff on the bow, like the shot, you know, where the arrow goes, as long as it doesn't yeah. go into the trailer or something, you know, then <laughs> through, the, <laughs> through the garage. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, yeah. it's not yeah, a big deal. The so. Jeep. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, that was John, but that was, yeah, that, that did happen. Um, but you know, so then when you said, we said, okay, we'll shoot at this spot here. Yeah. And then you put three arrows within you know close a couple couple inches maybe yeah. maybe closer yeah then we brought them outside to shoot at different distances and yeah so it didn't i i thought it was actually really easy to you know target acquisition with it you know i mean once i looked at the targets you know then all of a sudden here comes the spot you know the the dot and just let her go you know i mean it was it was it was pretty cool, really. I, you know, I mean, it was a new experience for me, but it was, it works, you know, and and you don't have to, you don't have to have a peep, you don't have to have, you know, really the, the secret anchor point or anything. You just you just pull it back and look at the target, and then all of a sudden here comes the dot, and then you shoot it, you know. And so, Tim, back to you and what I was saying about the like, maybe you can explain it a little bit better from like the you know the pistol sight or or whatever. But like, so how is that possible? Like, why is that, that, you know, you can, you said you shy, uh, sighted in the bow. That, he sighted in a left-handed bow and he's right-handed. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so how is that possible? Why does it work? Well, that, that's kind of the, how a red dot works. And the only way for us to see that dot in the center is to look straight through that tube. So when we put it on a bow or if we have it on a pistol, if we have our, our wrist twist it a little bit or can't or, or not just kind of torqued we're not going to see the dot in the, in the center and you just forces you to look straight through it so if your form isn't quite right i know it's not the same as shooting a pin sight but we we have to look straight through it so if our head isn't in the right spot um i guess it just <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier than in aligning all those things i get it's probably much easier i've done it all the time so i don't even think about it but you coming oh, you know, yeah. from something was, different, you're like, all right. I was, I was really, I was kind of skeptical at first, you know, just looking at it, you know. But as I, as I shot it, it was, it was very, very, you know, easy to shoot. You know, I mean, once you told me, you know, what to look for, you know, I mean, it's there, it is, you know. So I, I thought it was pretty cool, really. So the questions that are going to arise, obviously, are you, you've made it adjustable how adjustable i mean like so you're obviously you have uh limitations based on you know speed of the bow draw length arrow weight all of that sort of thing so obviously we do a total archery challenge we're yep. gearing up for that talking about that and how far can you get out with this site if, if we sighted in at, at 20 yards you know with with a hunting setup you're probably going to get 65 maybe 70 if you know if you're in that you know 500 grain arrow and 70 pounds or so for tack you know we're probably going to shoot a little bit lighter arrow you might get out another 10 yards but what we do is we have a little bit different mount for that so we can easily change from being sighted in at 20 and now we can start off at 40 and that way we can get out to over 100 yards and um for tack stuff we have a, a magnifier for those long ranges that uh, seems to be you know, we're working on it works fairly well. 
And so you were talking about that. So let's kind of explain when you're moving that, you're doing the adjustment to get out to a uh, hundred yards or so you're moving the back end of the red dot, right? The, the, the front side. The, the, the fr- okay. The farthest part away from us. Yeah. The, okay. Um, and you said that that's like moving your, your peep site. So how does that, and it changes your anchor, but if we've already broken down that it doesn't have like the same, uh, you know, anchor points and, and things yeah. like that as a, our where our mind goes when we think of uh, shooting a compound bow. How does that? Well, when we're sighting it in, once we're locked in, we sight it in at 20 yards, and then we're using the our bigger dial. That never changes our anchor point. But when we change it to so we're sighted in at 40 yards, now we've changed the angle of the tube. So the, the angle from your eye, you know, to see that dot in the center it's going to be either higher or a little lower. And it's typically a little bit lower and your anchor may change by just a minute, you know, amount with that. But uh, just that little bit of movement, 40 thousandths in, in that front part of the site, you know, is enough to change us from being sighted in at 20 to 40. Okay. And we had talked about this before. And one of the things about Tim is sometimes when we talk to people who have, you know, hunting companies or they make products for hunting, they say, well, ever since I started this company, I can't hunt anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't really hunt, but I just had this idea or, you know, so we want to know about hunting scenarios on this site. And so Tim's, are you still hunting? I guess I would say. Well, we hunt a lot, you know, so, you know, we, I have a, a blueberry farm too. So when we're not, once we hit fall, you know, it's full on hunting the whole time. And, um, my whole family has kind of been the team out there, you know, testing stuff and seeing what works better. And so when we're talking about these, because uh, one of the things that I've said is I'm very hard on gear. Like yep. I don't, you know, my, my quote unquote gear maintenance, like comes after the season. And it's yeah. like, oh man, that's really that stream's really bad. Or Where's that, that been? <laughs> yeah, like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I broke this off of the rest or this. And so, you know, we had talked about it like with things that have that tight of tolerance. When you're talking about a movement of forty thousands, which isn't a, a long ways at all. Yep. Um, you know, dust getting in there, dirt getting in there. These moving parts. Your your tolerances are so huge, like. I guess, how has the testing gone to make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, that that doesn't affect the site? And, like, I guess, what kind of conditions have you used this in to kind of set people's mind at ease yeah. that, you know, because it's great that, that, you're, that you're able to make things, yeah, you know, that it's precise, but it's got to work, right? Yeah. I mean, we've used them in everything as far as, you know, you know, hot stuff, cold, that doesn't have any uh, effect on anything. The, the, the ultra dot that we like the best, you know, as far as weather goes, doesn't affect that. The slide part up and down, I mean, we, we haven't seen any issues in hunting. It was, doesn't matter, you know, freezing cold stuff with snow. Um, it, I don't see any issues at all. You could throw it in the sand. That gear is big enough in there that turns the, the, um, uh, the dovetail up and down that, you know, that's not going to, you know, stop that. Well, and then there's, the, the clearances are so tight on that dovetail, too, isn't it? I mean, it'd be hard to get 
really get yeah, that's, sand in there. That's you know? pretty much less than a half a half thousandth in that yeah. in that dovetail. You know, keep yeah. it on track. And you had brought up a good point that you know we're trying to pick apart like and not from like a like nefarious or like I'm yeah, like, like you, saying like we just want to know it's not going to work. Um, but saying look, okay, so what about this kind of playing devil's advocate? And you said you know well, what about your single pin slider anyway? I mean, what happens when, you know, it's similar. You're just, you just have to hold up something heavier and. Right. Yeah. I mean, the tough part about, the, I mean, the tough, the mount itself is actually crazy tough. You can just take your bow and carry it around by the, the sight, you know, just like you carry your rifle right. by the scope. Right. You can treat it the same way. I think a couple of years ago, my kid dropped his out of a tree and he texted me that. Oh, my bow did my bow hanger fell out of the tree and my bow hit the ground. I was like, Well, let me know what you need. He goes, No, I went down and got a shot. It's it's dead on still. And then thirty minutes later he killed a nice deer. Wow. So it's it's stuff. I think you're gonna break something else before you have a problem with the site. Okay. Now like it's interesting, like again, you said you don't you're not much of a bow fisher or whatever, but so you've got a rack full of these lever bows that have, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, people use them for bow fishing. Like, so one of the things, and you know, Frank talked about, and we have on one of the bows, one of the easy V sites and it's built for like big game. So like, well, how, what do they call it? Like minute of accuracy. Like what are you using for the, the red dot? the actual dot on the ones that you prefer or, you know, and how does that go um, or how does that equate downrange to like, say if I want to shoot a squirrel at 50, can I dial it up just like my, uh, you know, HJ or red line or whatever. On the, on the ultra dot, which, which I think the, the match dot two is that's what we shot. That was on the, on the prime. Um, That has an adjustable dot. We can go from a two MOA to a four to a six to an eight. Or a dot with a circle, or a dot with a crosshair. I don't think you guys we didn't look we didn't look at that. Mm-hmm. But I like to use the smallest two MOA dot. So what that's going to mean at a hundred yards, that dot's going to cover up two inches of your target at a hundred yards. So you know at, at fifty it's going to be an inch. And if we're shooting at twenty five, that dot's like covering a quarter inch of your target. So it, it's pretty small. Okay, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm trying to like reverse engineer any question that yeah. that's going to arise. And so like, you know, shooting, shooting squirrels or shooting yeah. other things, if it covers up the entire squirrel, it's, uh, you know, I guess. Well, and you're looking at pin sites, you know, and they can cover up a lot, you know, I mean, as far as it, at different distances, you know, the farther you go, the bigger the, <laughs> you yeah. know. There's 11 brightness settings in that also. So if we're on real dark, you know, last light stuff, we can dial that down to a one. And uh, if you're really going to hunt in, you know, everything, something's coming out in uh, those last few minutes and you want to make sure that dot is really small, you know, maybe you'll go leave the battery on for a week or two, you know, get it, get it even a little bit tinier because you know you're going to be in that situation. Okay. And so you've been doing... A bunch of shows already this year. I don't know where you're at in as far as like where you're headed next, or if you're kind of winding down on that. But that, like, what is the the feedback been? And like, who's your target market? Like, who's using these sites? And 
Well, I think the feedback has been great from from everyone. I want to say ninety percent of the guys are guys that are you know, fifty to sixty five that they they having trouble with their up their close vision and there's you know they have trouble seeing through a peep and their pins are blurry and the red dot does away with all that because we focus on infinity rather than you know the the dot three feet in front of us but I think we see a lot at shows that how come no one has thought about this sooner but we get guys that come there and go I, I saw your ads in a magazine I saw your stuff on YouTube but until I actually came here I put it in my hands and shot it that's not what I thought it was so and from th- those guys what did they wh- where was the misconception or what did they think I, I think they'd look at it probably just like another lighted site and they're not mm-hmm. thinking that hey this actually shows me if I torque the bow you know we take a, someone that's brand new to hunting and with a pin and a peep and, and we tell hey don't torque the bow they're going what do you mean don't yeah. talk to them? I have What's no that? idea yeah. what that is. Right. Put a red dot in their hand and they're like, see when you move your hand back and forth a little bit, that's torque. They go, oh, I get it. It's like a video game to them. They right. just they just center the dot. There's no more thinking about what to do. So being raised on that with, with my kids and stuff, my nephews, they're like, I wouldn't do it any other way. Why would I want to go through all those those steps? Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's really good to point out that you do have that you know adjustable one to go shoot to a hundred yards or or whatever because i think that that's what i think that's one of the main things that you struggle with Mm -hmm. frank is like a shooting those distances like you know somewhat with with your poundage and your setup but like being able to see i just wonder how that would affect like you know so like you go to tack you have the the total archery challenge mm-hmm. setup, you know, what is your biggest deal? Because you did have, you were shooting an apex site that had right. a, a dot in there for, for a while. And you, what were the issues that you had with that? Cause you're not using that now. Well, the, the I guess it was the, you, it was a dot, you know what I mean? And it wasn't like you weren't center, you know, you weren't centering it really. It was there, you know what I mean? All the time. So, you could torque the bow and it wouldn't do anything. It would just, it's this there, you know? And I don't know if it was, if it was like no magnification or whatever, you know what I mean? But, and my eyes were, that was before I had my cataract surgery too, you know? And, uh, the, the one where we got to the pond, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, we get to the pond, there's six of us going to shoot, right? So this, and, and, and they're pointing across the pond. Oh, it's like a hippopotamus, huh? You know? <laughs> And and they were going to have me shoot this sucker, you know. You know what it was? It was a round bale that somebody had pushed off the, the, the thing and it was sitting in the pond. We were shooting an alligator over here, you know. <laughs> I didn't, you know, look at that. I'll shoot that hippo. <laughs> we had more confidence that you were going to hit yeah. a round bale. Yeah, well, we, we didn't want to have to go get your arrow. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. The apex, you know, it was just another sight, I think, you know. I, I mean, just... By by picking this bow up today with this sight on it, and it was really easy for me to, you know, access the target, you know, and, and shoot it, you know. I thought, you know, I mean, I didn't do too bad, you know. And I would almost say that your experience was much different than mine because Frank picked it up and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, and I 
give him a bunch of shit, but you know, <laughs> yeah, he was he was shooting it, and so I, I mean, I'm like canting the bow, I'm moving my head, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm I'm all over, I was shooting all sorts of different bows, and the problem for me was, you know, okay, finding the dot in in the thing, but that goes back to exactly what you're saying, Tim, is that if the if you can't see the dot, then some then something's wrong. You're not going to hit where you, you kind of have to forget everything you were not everything, yeah. but a lot of the stuff you have to forget. And I can see uh, Frank not. He's like, oh, you come from a different world shooting oh, oh, yeah. recurve and stuff. And with yeah. recurve, we're looking at the target the oh, whole time. Yeah. So this mimics that you know instinct shooting a little bit more. Yeah. So that style maybe was a little. Oh, bit I shot easier. instinctive for years too. You know before I ever did throw a sight on. You know. That was unheard of to put a sight on your bow, you know, back in the day, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, well, everybody's got a sight now, you know, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I was really, I was impressed, you know, with the, the, the ease of it, you know, I mean, just drew the bow, you know, and then you said, you yeah. got to just find, you know, the dot will come in, you know, and all of a sudden, man, there it is, you know, okay. Let her rip. You well, know? When you compare that to just picking up a random bow out, out of the shelf. Mm-hmm. If you went and picked up somebody else's bow with a pin and a peep, mm-hmm. would it be about the same? Oh no, no, because no, absolutely, the peeps. Not. I would be in a different spot. Yeah, everything's Every, different. Their anchor points would be this different. Bow, this bow, he he sighted it in. He's right-handed. He he hands it to me, and I shoot it. You know, I mean, I'm going like, yeah. wow, that's cool. And it was there. You know, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, you can take that those sights off the bow if you're like on a traveling thing. Just take those two and put the red dot away somewhere else um, or, or sight two of them. And if one was damaged, just bolt it back on. It's going to, you know, hit as long as that front screw is in the same spot. It's going to hit in the same spot. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, I guess there's a, a couple of things like the uh, – what's the what's the main pushback that you're getting from from the detractors, I guess? I don't think we get a lot of pushback from – when we're at shows, I mean, this is like, why didn't anybody think of this sooner? You know, why is, and, uh, it's, I would say it's more of, um, a handful of people where this is done. This was tried before back in 1992 and, and, and like, well, they're still using a lot of red dots today. So, you know, it isn't really old technology, but, and the archery world likes to stick with what they know, I think. And that sort of, a peep and pin is so you're you know, that's probably the biggest obstacle is changing that that we don't have to have the string on our nose fletcher we don't have to do all these things you know there's some of those things that we kind of if you shot a little bit more you'd say all right it, it's similar but i'm just not thinking about those things because right. the dot is just right. it's just there and it's making me i know when i see the dot all those other things have already happened and you're so, just looking through the tube yeah we're going we're going tot dot you know dot target target dot that's all we're not having to go front sight back sight target you know those three different things or you know peep sight yeah. pin sight target is my is my anchor rate this and that you know no see the dot shoot it mm-hmm. you, know? you know even even in situations hunting situations where we're we're in a saddle or or we're in a goofy tree stand uh, uh the dot will still be there it's, it's like going to football practice and they're they're telling you what your form is to have to be to block, you know, and you're like, that doesn't feel very comfortable or wrestling. You know, you're in that athletic form, but when you get out there and actually do it, you always revert back to that, that muscle memory of that right. form. So where are you seeing, I guess, maybe the, the up and coming 
people that are that are transitioning over to this? Because I can think of a, a couple different things that would come to my mind, like personally, but for yourself, I mean, and I think one of the things where you say that, that you don't you don't get any pushback at the shows. Um, it would seem like you know at a show people would have to have enough of an open mind to come and try it out, right? Because if, if somebody's gonna be like, oh, that's they're just gonna walk on by, right? Yeah, I well, I think it's it's more of a thing. What do they think of next? You know, and we're mm-hmm. like, what do you mean we've done this for thirty years? It's, you know, Red Dot's been around for quite a while, but just making it work, you know, is kind of the biggest challenge, and that's why once they get it in their hand and and shoot it, um, I think a lot of those misconceptions go away. So. Didn't we shoot one, uh, a form of this site or something similar a couple of years ago at ATA? Well, I mean, what was that? No, it was it was bigger too. The Garmin, I think, is yeah, what I think yeah. of yeah. And so that that's what I was trying to think of, like in terms of that okay. that site to me was that's still a lighted pin, which you yeah a peep for yeah. It's just mm-hmm. it's yeah, just that, electronic. That wasn't that wasn't. Uh, very friendly, you know. So that brings up a good point. Um, and one of the things, so at that time, and they've uh, both companies. So Burris makes their. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's a what that one is called. Uh, somebody just told me they bought one. I can't think of the name of it. But so there's the Burris site and the Garmin site. The Burris site has like almost like a tree of pins, or it, okay. it did, mm-hmm. and it would move, and it, you would do the range finder and then it would just put the pin there, but it had like something to revert back to the 20 yard pin or 30 yard pin or whatever you cited it into would always be yeah. lit up. And that was a more user friendly because it was an actual lit led. And so it, it didn't just adjust for you. Like the Garmin does. It just puts it in there. The problem with the Garmin that we had seen and in theory, you know, from what I've heard, they've made it better, but was glare, you know, so here we are at the ATA show. We're in this giant, well-lit room trying to, uh, find this dot thing similar to that. Um, and so that automatically leads your mind to like on a sunny day, you know, all this stuff. Like, so are you, um, what are you experiencing with glare or, um, you know, you know, we've all been there where yeah. you can't see through the windshield or, or whatever. Yeah. You Like out here where we shot by that big wall, if it's at the right time of the day, you might see that with the suns behind your back. But really in in, in hunting situations, it, it just doesn't happen. They do make a, a, a sunshade that screws on the end of the, the those tubes to get rid of that. Uh, that's why I think the tube style is a little bit better for that, those things, but... I don't really see any any glare issues with a red dot. I mean, ultra dots are used, you know, outdoors. They're a competition pistol scope. So, they've figured those out, and they're tough. You know, they mount them on the slide of a forty-five. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't worried about, like, durability or anything, but <laughs> it's, it's just, just, like, just target acquisition, like. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not saying there isn't times during the day where you couldn't have, uh, you know, the sun you know, glaring from behind you. And, right. But is it going to make you not be able to see the dot? No. no. I, I, when I hunted with the, or when we shot the 
the challenge with the apex that I ran into that a few times with the sun in front of me. Like even, you know, it was like, you know, I could lose everything, you know, inside. It was just a shiny, you know, hmm. couldn't, and, and I don't know why. I mean, it was just weird. Well, I wonder how much that differs just from the fact of surface area. So I don't know what the tube diameter and the that's the thirty glass. millimeter on those. But yeah, so I mean so that's you, smaller than you. you well, in it, it's probably similar. So Frank in uh, <laughs> all of his infinite wisdom, you know, and I he does he obviously I he keeps me around, but I say I keep him around because. He's wealth of knowledge, you know, but you know, what did you do to that apex site? You took like some like <laughs> construction paper and he cut out a circle and then he cut out a smaller circle to, to no, combat exactly. No, oh, would you color it with a marker? No, it was a plastic washer that oh, I cut, cut down. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the same thing. It was right. to kind of narrow down yeah, that, narrow, that narrow field of view, down, you know. Yeah, what happens too when you start to shoot with both eyes open? We we just really want to as long as we're seeing the dot with one eye, the other eyes, you know, we're really that's our target eye, right? And they come together out there, mm-hmm. and you kind of forget about looking through that tube, you know. So even in in a situation you're like, oh, this light seems a little bit weird, um, you're always able to have that dot on the target. So let's talk about like from your personal experience, like uh, with this and uh, the in a hunting scenario like where you're like best thing since sliced bread like the i mean obviously you know you've been shooting red dots but like was there a moment like when you were hunting when you like when it was like finally got it like and it was a, a hunting scenario type thing um i mean the red dot i mean that's always low light stuff that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't want to go out there without that i mean there have been some instances with the adjustable part you know where Hey, we got to go shoot something that, and I offhand, you know, thinking of a situation where we, we wounded a deer and it, you know, it's swimming across the a river and it gets up on the bank at the other side and you, you know, make that adjustment, be able to shoot it. Not that you can't do it that with other sites, but that was when you're like, ah, oh, I'm glad we had this thing dialed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so that, like, that's a great example just for, from the fact of like previously, with a fixed we just red dot, you, you were shooting the red dot, and you you gave it the old Frank oh, Acker. Yeah, that's about right. That ought to do it. <laughs> so awesome. Well, I mean, for you, for from your perspective, from everything that you're you've been talking to all of the guys, um, who is like your target demographic? Like, who is who does this site benefit the most? Probably that, that 55, 60-year-old guy that's having problems seeing, you know, or you, you don't like a peep site, you know, that's the... And you know. what is your experience with, like, and anytime there is something, and I, I understand that this is not new technology, but yeah. it's just new to me, yep. and the, essentially the fact of shooting a bow in this manner of like, well, you just put the dot on there, right? Like forget all the rest, forget everything that, you know, just put the dot on there, make sure that it centers up. Um, where do you think that that falls in? Cause obviously you've got kids with like a new shooter and trying to like, I don't even want to say like to teach the sport of archery because it's Frank would always go back to like, I don't shoot spots. I'm a killer. 
Like I can shoot deer. I don't, I don't really care about shooting, you know, nickels at 50 yards. I know exactly what you're saying is, and because I've had that same discussion with a lot of people, I'm like, Hey, this, this is how our tree, we have these steps that we have to follow, you know, and a lot of those, there's probably steps one through six that are the same, how our feet are placed, you know, those things. The only part we're changing is really that, that anchor stuff, our release and all those, those things haven't changed. We're just, you know, centering the dot. So when we're teaching a, a new kid or just someone new to the sport, we're still teaching them how to stand and, you know, how they to, have to have the correct form, how to know, hold their head, the form. you know, we do that. But it's much easier to explain to them. I think our biggest issue, and probably with a lot of people, is identifying torque. Yeah, Um, because you just can't see the dot if you torque the bow, or you know, your head is really weird. I honestly think that this would be for a you know first time shooter or young shooter or whatever. You know, somebody that's just taking it up. I think it would be easier for them to use this site than it would be. To do the peep, the pins, you know, I mean, the whole nine yards. As long as you've teaching them, you know, are you teaching them the proper form, you know, the the steps, and then you know, look through the tube, whatever, you know, and see, find the dot. I, I think a lot of guys probably have given it up because I mean they're working like crazy, you know, they're not shooting all all year long. They're picking their bow up two weeks before the season, and they haven't touched it since you know December of the previous year, and with this. Just center the dot. They don't have to, oh, remember, oh, this is what I had to do on, on step eight, you know. So, I think it makes well, that a and, lot and, easier. And I know some guys, too, that uh, a couple of them in particular, that if if they tried to shoot their bow to practice during the summer, they have such issues with target panic that they just they want to throw it away, you know. Yeah. They want to get rid of it, you know. They, they, they don't touch their bow until – Almost, you know, like the day before season, you know, so they're <laughs> figuring out, got all the good shots here. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that would be, I don't know, easier to shoot. You know, I mean, you like you say, you could, you know, pick that thing up man, and just center the dot, you know. Well, I'm just thinking in terms of instant gratification, right? So yeah. there's nothing more frustrating than, you know, you go <laughs> just, I mean, God, I haven't done it. Like, was four, that that low? Four, <laughs> four, did I shoot the other target? Yeah. <laughs> like four times in the last week and a half, two weeks is like setting up a new site, going back and forth, back and forth. And then, you know, you you shoot and you're like, what? Where did that go? Like, why is that? Yeah. What's happening? I think that happens to everybody probably with no matter what, what site you have, you start oh, yeah. overthinking oh, every yeah. little oh, thing. Yeah. And that's a lot. Something I tell people, like, stop overthinking it, you know, just, you know, center the dot as long as there's not some issue with your bow, right? you know, and kind of just settle down. Well, it seems like even like from our limited experiences, like once you, I don't even want to say like that we weren't trusting it, but it's like once you, you say, okay, okay, that's what I got to do. Then you can kind of dial it in just a one little bit more and then kind of get a little bit more. What what really stands out to me is just being able to pick that bow up, you know, and shoot that bow and hit the spot, you know what I mean, to hit where I'm looking, you know, it, right, boom, that quick, you know. He can't even do that with his bow. No, hell, my bow, man, I'm <laughs> I'm like around around the horn on it, you know, <laughs> the horn. But but yeah, so 
I'm just, you know, from a, a absolute new shooter, like I think about like, like your daughter, my wife, like mm-hmm. she probably shot a bow 10 times in her whole lifetime, you know, and it's like, well, I don't want to go through all that. But it's like, yeah. well, I would imagine that you can probably just pick this up and yeah, and actually have that instant gratification hit what you're, what you're aiming at. And, you know, now it's maybe enjoyable process. I, I think of that stuff when I see I'm at a shop and I see him, the new kid picks the bow up and they're trying to teach that kid how to look through the, look through the peep and line it up with that. And not, oh. I always go back to the torque stuff and I'm like, no, oh, I'd like to put that, put a red dot on that bow for that kid. He's think he's playing a video game. He'll just shoot. Right. It. Well, and also, which just, I, I found myself doing it out there, but I didn't equate it to like training or like learning or whatever. It was just, intuitive to me but to for that same exact point to like to try to teach a kid like what to do like you're removing that peep site so the problem is is what with a red dot well you have to have the if you can't see the dot then whatever well i can't and i was dealing with this with my daughter last night as a matter of fact i cannot look down the string through her eye to see where she's aiming i can only think like you need to go a little lower or you're going to shoot the wall so we need to we need to go down, but in reality, you don't have to have that bow drawn back to see the dot. So from a kid's perspective, or from a new shooter's yeah. perspective, just hold it out there and see the dot. Now move your arm this way or this way. Now you can't see it. So once you've got them trained to be able to just see the dot, now right. draw the bow back. Can you see the dot? Yes. Okay. Put the dot where it needs to be. Yeah. Okay. Where you can't. Say, right. you can't say line up the peep site and then go through this, then look at the, right. you know. And it's it's easy to teach the that kid not to have that death grip. Oh, yeah. You can say, hey, loosen your hand up. Don't shoot. Just loosen it up a little bit and see what happens. They're like, ah, instant. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you torque the bull. Right. Awesome. Awesome. You got anything else, Frank, that you're you're thinking of? Or? No, I really like it, though. Okay. I really do. I'm I was a little skeptical at first, you know, but oh, man, that's that's cool. That's a cool outfit. And so we always ask this, and I'm actually curious to hear the answer because of everything that I saw. But like, what is the bow that you're? What's your hunting setup? Like, what's your bow setup go to? Oh, mine. I'd usually just pick a, one of those Anitas I have. I think I shot last year. I shot um, a Phoenix, um, you know, with the match shot. I think I just had a regular mash dot on there, but it was a two-style red dot. Um, I don't think it would really matter. Um, I was shooting a prime a lot last week. Just to <laughs> kind of, I think maybe we're going to shoot total archery challenge with that, possibly. But you shoot in Michigan then? Yeah, yeah. We we had a little trouble getting signed up in the get go. We had to come back. Yeah, we got we got signed up. You know, a few he, days later, he shakes his head like he did anything. I was in Ohio scouting, <laughs> and I was using hotel Wi-Fi. I signed up eight people and then my car got declined because I was in Ohio and they thought it was. And so I had to figure it out. We were shooting all three. Some of us were shooting two days. Some of us on three every single time. But the folks at Total Archery Challenge, I want to say this for everybody listening, did a great job at, at getting us in. But you can't say, oh, what a what a terrible process it was. I, like, I was in Iowa at the show <laughs> and my son was like, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. Just give me the info. So then he's trying to call me and. And asked me a couple questions, and then he got all the way to the end. And he said, "Hey, I aired out." 
Well, he's always, you know, the technical you know. guru, you know, and all this stuff. Well, my kids know? are you know? more technical uh, yeah. than me. So. And, you know, well, my granddaughter knows more about, you know, computers and laptops and, and, and tablets than, than I ever will, you know. But my nephew, well, how many guys did they have? They had like six. six. He rented a, a house up there, you yeah. know, you know, a couple grand or whatever, you know. Well, then. None of them got in. He was the only one that got in, you know, and he's going, man, this is stupid, you know. <laughs> but then they finally, they finally, you know, kept resubmitting or whatever, you know, yeah. or, you know, and they got, they finally got in. So, <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to get together up there. Yeah. You know, you can bring some of these over to the house where we're staying and yeah. show some people. We're, we'll be, I say this every time, but so we'll be cooking out Saturday night. Like we, last year we did two. Like twelve pound did, pork. Yeah, butts I did twenty and, yeah. twenty some pounds of pork butts. You know, and they weren't were they done enough yet? <laughs> they <laughs> were like he takes them jello. upstairs and he pulls the bone out. You know, and my son is a like the connoisseur of pork. You know, oh yeah, you know, he said that. it went over well. <laughs> we did them for like sixteen hours, didn't we? In yeah. my in my smoker. Yeah. So yeah, and had a little incident with a sprinkler. You know, we'll we'll get yeah. to that on a, another time here. Wow. Um, what arrows and stuff are you shooting? I don't know. I, we haven't really decided. We bought some just some cheap arrows just to, to uh, see what was going on with those. The problem with those is if you miss, they're, they're toast. I think we shot some uh, just uh, serious supernovas last year, you know, heavy stuff. I think they're like 250 spine, but they were pretty durable because of that. So you could miss, and unless you hit that, whatever's in the center of some of those targets that mm-hmm. um, yeah. that kind of mess them up. But uh, I don't know if we'll go back to that. There was like, probably like 430 grain arrow. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a, kind of a decent weight for, for attack. We've been shooting uh, the Black Eagles, right? Yeah, those outlaws. Yeah. I just built a set of those yeah. just for, for those, attack. Those, I'll tell you what, I, I'm real happy with those. Those are, well, I'm shooting a 350, I think. Yeah. Uh, 300. Yeah. 350. 350. I'm 300. Yeah. Yeah. What do you shoot for broadheads? I have a wide range of stuff. I shot that, you know, last year, just some uh, thunderheads, but I think I've killed deer with just about everything out there. Um, and it looks like uh, your vapor trail rest guy. Vapor trail rest. Yep. I just kind of switched everything over to that. That seems to be just simplicity. What was that? Two years ago, we were talking with Pete Shepley, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Was that at Indianapolis, or was it? It would have been three years ago, I think, because there wasn't or Louisville the show. Uh, I don't know Indianapolis, yeah. But he, you know, we were talking to Pete, you know, and I talked to Pete years ago when he he came to the the store in Muskegon, you know, and uh, I asked him. I says, "What? So a hunting setup? What would you, you know, what would you go?" Whisker biscuit, he says, you know, and and yeah. you know what he said, if you're going to shoot fifty yards and under, you know, what I mean, that's all you need, you know. You put a whisker biscuit on, it, and they're, you know, really, you stop and think about it. You don't have to worry about any springs or you know dogs or anything like that, dude. Put the arrow in there and shoot it, you know. And it made sense to me, you know. Well, he, we killed a lot of deer with a whisker biscuit. Oh yeah, I don't know how many years you just used the bow doodle. Yeah, you know, or a flipper rest. Oh, flipper rest, man. I've you know two prong cobra. The best rest ever for, you know, young hunters and or when we used to set up bows was the bare weather rest. It was just a rubber, you know, little yeah. deal that come out. It was the bare weather rest, man. It's 
slap it on, go hunt. <laughs> Just they pull back and it ends up going over here. <laughs> oh yeah. But they were they, uh, for for a cheap just a cheap rest. You know and that's what used to come on the bears. You know when they first you know yeah. were bringing them out. Yeah, bear weather rest. Yeah, got to get those at the museum now. Yeah, yeah. Well, they probably do. <laughs> They complicate everything nowadays. <laughs> so if, if people are interested in checking these out or um, they want to see some videos or they want to contact you, like what's the best way to, to find out about this stuff? You go to our website, adjustablered.com. Um, you can go on YouTube, Adjustable Red Dot. There's a fair amount of videos on there that we made. Okay. Or awesome. I think my phone number's in there. You can give me a call also. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time and you really? bringing yeah. us over here. Thanks for coming. Like I say, for showing us and kind of setting it up and for real it was you, you kind of have to you gotta ra- shoot you gotta wrap, it. You gotta <laughs> you gotta shoot wrap it. your head around it you gotta you gotta shoot it and that's all you gotta do and it it works it works awesome well thanks guys yep. all right Stands Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Every once in a while, it's fun to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.